Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk about this fantastic film, The Shape of Water. I feel like it's one of those films that you hear about from word of mouth because it's not what's expected. It's not a holiday type of film. It's from the mind of this wonderful storyteller, Guillermo del Toro. So what did you guys think when you first found out about this project, when Guillermo came to you and said, I would like you guys to do what you do and breathe life into this kind of fantasyful, otherworldly fairy tale? At first, I, th I thought it was super ambitious. You know, you read the script and you, you, you read about uh, a love story between uh, a, a mute woman and a, a fish creature. Right. And, and it seems like, uh, you know, how, how are they going to pull this off? Uh, then you keep reading and you start realizing that it's about a lot more than that. Um, and it, it goes from being this sort of like uh, really cool creative opportunity uh, into something that feels a bit more important that you really want to put your back into. And especially important with the, uh, the way the times are now. It's yeah. very topical. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah, that's something that I heard Guillermo share, just, you know, why this film is so meaningful to him. And I think, you know, what were some of the initial notes or scenes or moments? Like, what were some some of the, the, the I guess, the tone notes of how he wanted sound to play into this story? I, I mean, I'll, I'll just say the biggest note right off the bat, it, I mean, it seemed right from the get-go. It was about the vocabulary. It was about the creature. Mm -hmm. um, you know, about... Um, about the creature basically having a, having its own vocabulary and trying to to somehow glue the voice to the creature because it was before there were any VFX so we were still dealing with, you know, in the early stages I mean, you know, Doug Jones in a rubber suit right? And it was a tough sell for us even seeing it then right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know ultimately that it's going to be very good but still it's hard to get over so, you know to in the early stages to give it credibility you know, I, I know Nathan worked really hard, um, you know, and kind of trying to find a way to, you know, to bring life to that creature and to make it believable. And it was very much, a, I mean, it, it evolved, right? I mean, that creature became, and its vocabulary became more sophisticated from the very beginning, the early cuts, right through until the end, layer upon layer. And it, it, it I mean, it took life. Right? Of course, that said, what's really interesting is that that first audition scene uh, when we were first trying to ha iron out how we were going to attack this element, like how we were going to approach it. Um, we were considering voice talents. We were thinking about different animals and things like that. And just, just to give it a shot, I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to throw a mic up in my, in my studio at home and see what I can do. So I did it. And it was that egg scene, the scene where Eliza brings the creature an egg and plays music for him for the first time. And that scene survived almost untouched in the same state straight through to the finished product. Yeah. Um, it was the rest of the film where we kind of had, in order to keep him convincing, to like really give him emotional range um, and sell him as a, a creature that this is not a roar equals scare kind of creature, um, that took a bit more, um, a bit more finesse. And, and I, I definitely say that like Nelson said, in the early stages, we were um, we were dealing with Doug Jones in a rubber suit. You know what I mean? And, and like his 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 physical presence was was amazing. It was it, there was a lot to work with there. But in terms of what the creature's going through, we were like I was flying by the instruments. It was and Guillermo was that instrument. You know what I mean? He was basically telling me, "This is you know look, this is this is what we're going for here." Because there were there were a few where I took a crack at it and it just kind of missed, right? Um, but he was always there for me. He was always sort of ready to 
sort of correct course. And then it, it's crazy, man. Once we started seeing those VFX come in, uh, it all kind of, it, it all kind of like made, it made sense. You know what I mean? Like all this stuff, all this work that we'd been doing and, and, and all of these emotions and this vocabulary of, um, of gestures that we'd been putting together all kind of started gluing themselves together when we saw those VFX, the, the, the expressive eyes and the, the right. movements and stuff like that. Yeah. What, what can you say just about the fact that the backdrop of this film is kind of this Cold War, Cold War era of America, circa 1962, like the sounds of kind of the laboratory, the world that this um, film takes place in also kind of gives you some type of direction. So how did you contrast the creature with this kind of cold, stark, mono, monotone type of feel? Well, I mean... I guess uh, you know. Ultimately, it was it was kind of um, kind of true to life sounds. You know what I mean? Like the 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 world around the creature and the world around the characters. Um, I mean, from a sound effects perspective, the goal was to kind of make make it more of a subjective experience of the world to mm-hmm. the individual characters. So you know, Eliza lives above a movie theater. We hear that sound source playing through the floor um you know what i mean through the floor of her apartment and that kind of scores her life and if you look at her life everything about her life is this sort of like magical musical um performance she knows she knows you know she can tap dance you know what i mean like in the hallway all of a sudden like we 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 brought in a at guillermo's request we brought in a tap dancer into the foley room to you know, bring in some sort of, you know, tap dance flourishes um, mm. and, and things like this. You know what I mean? Like we, we kind of made her world very musical. She was very show to me. She, she and Giles were kind of like the star of their world. You know what I mean? But then you go over to Strickland's life and he's this uh, this sort of like mechanical, you know, he's, he's reading a book about the power of positive thinking. And <laughs> right. it's just this like total, <laughs> this total BS, you know, you know, you know, white America, rah, 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 we are USA, my kids are going to have jetpacks when they grow up, you know what I mean? And and he's super, you know, he, he claims to be super optimistic, but you can tell he's just racked with self-doubt. And so, you know, you go to his house and you hear, like, tweeting birds and, like, you know, he's, he's he starts making love with his wife and that transitions into this, like, mechanical pumping in the lab, you know, that's going at the same tempo as, as, as his thrusts and, you know, he's, yeah. you know, he's just... Uh, I don't know. He's a fraud. <laughs> and 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 I I mean I should add that I mean Guillermo's a filmmaker where and this is apparent right from you know you watch the film right from the get go from the first viewing of it his his imagery and his use of 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 set design I mean of art direction it's so I mean it's so elegant and it's otherworldly in a way and you know as a sound person it's it's really a treat because you know often you can only be as good as the images you provided to to sort of paint with, right? And you know, he's just he's he's a sound designer's dream come true because of the images that he provides you. He just he gives it to you, and it's just a, a you know a playground to work with, right? If you're uh, if you're a sound person, because the images are just so so elegant, right? And so unique and so thought out, right? That that. You have no choice but to just to get in that groove and to follow suit in a way, right? Yeah, I, I was gonna say, you know, the film opens up really beautifully with this um, kind of underwater sequence of the apartment um, floor, and you know, it, it sets up kind of the 
some of the um, sound textures for for water and uh, it, there's different versions of water from the tank in the laboratory and the end of the film um i don't want to spoil the film <laughs> but but basically <laughs> no there's many uses of different types of water what can you say just about creating that world of water being represented throughout the film uh, you know what? I have to I have to send a shout out to Tyler Woodham. He's one of our sound effects editors on the movie, and one of the things that he and I discussed when we were kind of putting it together was like, okay, man, this is this 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 storm specifically at the movie at the end of the movie that doesn't give anything away. I promise. Um, <laughs> is a character. You know what I mean? It's a it's a it's a critical character in the movie. It does so much to help tell the story. So we really had to nail that, and so you know that that basically. You know that that wound up you know putting Tyler in a position where he's got to record all these specific rain textures. There were a lot of rain textures that were existing that we turned to, um, but all the details, all the specific highlight details, like the uh, you know he 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 ran around his house with like watering cans and hoses to sort of emulate rain falling on things like different objects around the house like you know you mentioned the the rain in the apartment and how her apartment's leaking well like all those pots that's tyler in his basement with a bunch of pots and casserole pans and things like that recording these specific tonal resonant you know objects so that we could put those in and you know then then you know hand that over to brad and he makes it look like we know what we're doing he you know, places them around the room and, you know, you really feel like you're completely surrounded by, by this, this, you know, soaking wet weather, you know, yeah. that, 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 that to, to Strickland and all those people on his side of the fence, this weather is just catastrophic, but to Eliza and all the people who we love and are rooting for, it's salvage. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, Chris, like, what can you say about the tracks that were coming back musically? And, and also, how was this film mixed? Was uh, 7-1, Native Atmos? How it, did was, it... it was mixed 5-1. Five, five, okay. And uh, the music was phenomenal. He did an incredible job. Just, it mixed itself. Yeah. It yeah. was amazing. Yeah. And I, the, uh, yeah. I don't know if I remember a film. I mean, you know, there's always respect, you know, for the composer and the tracks they're delivering, but but Guillermo just seemed to have such a such a respect, just such a reverence for those tracks as they came in. It was very carefully spotted, and it was very carefully thought out, and there wasn't much in the way of, you know, I mean, editorial changes and manipulating it. Yeah. He pretty much, I mean, Alexander really, I mean, he, he delivered in a big way, right? I would love to say Cam McLaughlin helped out there, oh, too. He yeah. was... He was the associate picture editor on, on the film, and he basically, you know, he, he spent a lot of time in the early temp phases sort of ironing out this um, this this temp music track and playing, you know, I'm stealing his words, uh, but, he, you know, he, he was playing music sources diegetically. You know, he was using the, 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 the score from the theater downstairs yeah. to, to score people's lives or things that were on the radio or like Dixie on the Dixie Dugs, the Dixie Dugs yeah. show tune or yeah like the, 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 the scene in the tele with the television in the uh, Mr. Magoo the, yeah the Mr. you know Magoo, things yeah. like this you know what I mean like he was he was using all of those elements super musically you know what I mean and, and then sort of once they were done with that and they sort of painted it with a temp score they handed the temp score over to Alexander Desplat and he you know basically took that and kind of made it something that no one's ever heard before. He made this beautiful score, you know what I mean? But he was able to sort of hit on all of the points that Guillermo wanted, you know what I mean? And, and I, I can't really speak to, to Desplat's, uh, you know, methodology or how he, sure. how, how he approached that, 
but um, you know, you could. I, I I took from it that he was, you know, much like me, flying by the instruments. And those tracks that Cam was selecting in the early stages were those instruments. Yeah, I would I would yeah. call those tracks. I mean, sort of the unsung hero of this whole soundtrack, in that they they were they added this. It was this beautiful underscore to everything that was happening in Eliza and Giles's apartment, and it sort of it just had this way of drawing a straight line. <laughs> You know, through the movie that way, right? And this, this, it was just this playful underscore that was, that was kind of always there, right? And was saying something at the same time, even without there being any upfront score there. And yeah, one of the best parts to uh, illustrate that was when the creature comes out of the the bathroom. Yeah. When uh, Giles is watching in his sleep, and all of a sudden, because we had the score from the from the movies that are going on in the theater underneath sort of playing throughout scenes and they're marking certain moments in the scenes and uh as the creature comes walking out the door there's this you hear the score heighten at that moment from the theater downstairs to sort of represent the the monster and it just Mm -hmm. becomes its own it score as well scoring the moment in our film Mm. and it was just a, a really neat way to to use the music and the source stuff in a, in a way that was different. I also uh, love how they snap you out of that too, by saying, this is not the monster. This is the creature, but this isn't the monster. Cause right. the next scene, you know, Sydney cuts to Mr. Ed, you know what right. I mean? So you go from like this terrifying sounding, you know, yeah. <laughs> this horrifying sounding creature soundtrack into, you know, yeah. this, this sort of TV comedy yeah. talking horse. Yeah. What, what can you say about the other, um, that, kind of beautiful transition when she is goes off into like kind of this daydream about this song what 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 was kind of the iterations of that scene evolving because it seems like it like a really beautiful composition uh visually but then sonically i'm wondering how how maybe that scene came together it was it was the big trial and error i mean scene for me anyway in the film it, i mean, it, we, I mean we, we tried it like every way we had, mm-hmm, yeah, because we, we had the adr for the for yeah. for sally and then yeah. the recorded the stuff yeah. that was recorded on set as well yeah. as the opera singer renee fleming did yeah. a take of right. of the vocalizations leading yeah. up to it and yeah. yeah all the dialogue yeah the singing leading up to the yeah and so, i yeah. think uh, i don't know what chris ultimately ended up doing and Cross fading between <laughs> Sally and Renee, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just uh, yeah. he maybe he can tell you about just a yeah, cross fading between Sally's ADR and Renee's singing in both instances, in and out. Yeah, Sally did a, I mean, Sally did, on set, she did a lip sync to a pre recorded track, and that was in the cut for a long time, and that's how it lived through temp dubs and this sort of thing. The idea came along to get Renee Fleming to do the entire song. So Renee er, did the entire song. So we had that. And then when we brought Sally in to do ADR, we also did the entire song with her, where she sort of came out of that broken, mute voice, that, that croaky sort of voice, and then opened up and started to sing. And then it was just a matter of using those and you know trying to find that the magic spot uh, to, in and to, out to, to make blend, the transition yeah. into to try and make it on the one hand seem seamless but on the other hand we were trying to push a button at a point to say okay here comes it's, the fantasy right? right and in a way not be seamless in that way right to have it sort of blossom at, at a point right and um it like i said it was trial and error and we, we found the point right it's funny too because another thing that 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 reminds me of as you talk about that i'm thinking about the breaths pass for eliza yeah 
You know what I mean? And how, because these guys recorded an entire breaths pass for yeah. basically the film, was it not? It was for the film. And we, and the challenge in that, in that scene, in the dance, like in the musical number was that Renee's track was so perfect, was so well recorded, was so, I mean, she's such a monster vocalist that it was, it was almost too good. And we had to, we had to imperfect it in a way we had to humanize it and and add breaths and add little movements and little foley kind of uh, subtle foley moves from from Steve Bain Pete Prasad and and to to just kind of put it you know to to glue it to that picture and make it seem again to kind of walk the line between absolute fantasy and and reality mm. how do you describe Guillermo's his own perspective in terms of like, how do you describe when he's on the mix stage with you? Does he let you kind of do your first pass? Yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah, we we put it in a in a like a ballpark what we think it'd be. Um, yeah, and with Sydney and, and with Sydney and, and and Cam and and then he would come in and review it and tell us we were all wrong and we were no. all wrong. No. <laughs> Just kidding. No. <laughs> you call yourselves mixers? No. Um, <laughs> and no, we we were actually pretty good uh, in the ballpark where we. Our senses were pretty good. He was an incredible collaborator. Yeah, he was he, phenomenal. He is wide open to perspectives that didn't uh, originate in his own mind. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's totally mm-hmm. cool. He he brings, <laughs> don't get me wrong, he does the lion's share of imagination. <laughs> but when somebody else brings something to the table, he listens to it for its merit. And if it's yeah. good, it stays. And if it doesn't, it doesn't stay. It goes. Yeah. And he's... Uh... Very, very precise on what he. Yeah, you know. I've n- I've never worked with anybody that's been so, so in tune with the with the post sound process. Like he 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 gets it. He knows it. He knows what he wants. He knows how how everything's done. So you know when he wants something, like there was a section where where they're hauling in the 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 asset for the very first time, and we were trying to get the right sound for the uh, that giant iron lung that it's traveling in and you know getting the right weight and everything and uh just sat there and went okay stop now i want you to go through every single element every track individually and tell me what it is oh uh, and we just sat there and i'm like okay here's you know this is the rolling this is you know whatever and we went down the list and he wrote them all down he's like okay i want that gone i want this gone and i want that brought up 6 db okay <laughs> do it <laughs> and it he nailed it it was yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, he's just he knows what he wants and and he really knows how to get it well i mean have you any of you worked with him in the past yes, yes. i've mixed yeah. a, uh, uh mow with him once well you did uh the strain the, the, the pilot. pilot for the strain oh okay him. great and yeah. i've never worked with him before this is my first nelson and i picked up and did uh the first season of this yeah yeah we worked with him on the strain that was that that was the <laughs> the beginning. I mean, I, I saw inklings sure. of of how he worked at that point, and then when seeing him do it full out on a mix stage was just to me like a, a revelation. I've ne- never really seen a director work uh, like that. Yeah, before. some of the stuff he brought to to that mix that that we would have never even considered, like the the scene in the rain at the end, where I can't give this away, but the 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 the, the car like the 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 Russian bad guys come up in the car and and everything starts like the the windshield wipers are all acting like a metronome and heightening the tension of the scene just by highlighting these sound effects 
um, was was incredible, and it was such a such an amazing moment for the film. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, like for me, and I noticed edited, he'd the color these. Was was but this yeah, is it. He seemed, would seamless. He would yeah. color those with sound, and for me, I'd go. It, it's like in all those cases, I go, "Oh my God, he! This was from conception. This was the idea from conception. This is just the the full realization of his original idea, mm-hmm. right? And we're just finishing it off, but." He's also not just a, he's not just like a powerhouse once he's got all the pieces assembled because I spent a lot of time sitting with him and going over sound design stuff uh, with him and Sidney Walensky and Cam. And, uh, and we would sit there and it was, it was always a team effort in those sessions, mm-hmm. but like the guy could, you know, <laughs> he could sit there and he could listen to individual elements in my library. You know what I mean? Like, it, and 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 he would he would just know he he picked the weirdest elements. Sometimes there was this one, you know, oddball, just wacko dry ice screeching against metal sound. That I mean, like I I never would have in a million years considered it as vocal. And he's like, I like that. <laughs> I like, so there now here I am, and I've got to make this thing fit in the in the creature's mouth. And sure enough, you throw it through a talk box and you start modifying it to work with the other vocalizations that are happening at that time and sure enough the next thing you know you've got this howl this this incredible like you know high-pitched sort of you know sad sounding you know it's it's almost like uh it was a pining kind of howl it it was in the torture scene when uh when eliza's running away from the creature yep. to go and hide behind the the racks of equipment and you just hear this high-pitched howl and we'd gone at it from so many different angles, you know, and elements got subtracted, added back in, but it just wasn't, no one was convinced, none of us were convinced by it until, you know, we just, we just sat there and yeah, Guillermo would close his eyes and we'd go through elements. <laughs> and, mm. and he was like, that one, that's, that one, that's yeah. our sound. <laughs> and sure enough, you know, so like, you know, he's not, he's not just, you know, he, he doesn't just kind of come in and, and paint the model. You can give him the Lego pieces and he'll help you build. <laughs> that's amazing. And yeah. what can you say? There's also some really nice detail within, um, the creature's breathing. Oh man, yeah. The what, creature. Well, what did you guys do there? Because it, I, I've heard so many different types of kind of amphibian style creatures, but yet this one was really unique. Well, there was you. Nathan did a lot of that, and Foley actually took a took a pass at like they did the sort of the gill movements and that sort of thing that added nicely to that. But uh, yeah, um, well, I, I kind of I for my approach, I kind of. <coughs> look at it as kind of like a forensic dissection of what you hear when you listen to speech in order to make it sound convincing, right? Like, you've got to have... First, you take this creature. They they even say in the script, you know, he's got two separate breathing mechanisms. He breathes air. He breathes water. When he's he's amphibious to a point, he can't stay out of water indefinitely. So while he's breathing, you have to hear that liquid slowly draining from his lungs. And the longer he spends outside <laughs> of the water, the more that becomes a wheeze rather than a rolling bubbly sound of water. So basically, to make that breathing, it's a combination of a bunch of things. It was a lot of high-res recordings of, uh, of just sort of like tactile embouchure work just with the, mm-hmm. the presence I could get out of my mouth. Um, and, yeah, like some purring stuff that I, that I did um, as well as like I took like a, one of those hot water bladders that you use to, to heat up your feet in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I modified it so that it, it would basically sound like a lung-shaped floppy rubber bong. You know what I mean? And filled it with various amounts of water. Right. And I would breathe through that to get that bubbly, rolling, you know, lungs, gills filled with fluid sound. Um, and, and all of that was, you know, then complemented with 
the sort of chest cavity lower register harmonic vocal tones and 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 then the present vocal tones that you hear that are sort of the main the meat of his voice um, again these are just things that I did with my own voice and process to sort of sound strange without sounding inhuman um, and then it was animal sweeteners but what was really critical through this whole process because like we it still didn't feel like it was sticking to him like it, there was something that wasn't quite sort of uh, you know, it, it wasn't quite glued to his mouth, and uh, and that's when when Guillermo kind of came in and got his hands dirty. This is another great example of him sort of working in the trenches with us, right? He he offered to come in and do some ADR sessions, and uh, you know he's got that salty, gravelly voice. You know what I mean? And so some of, like we got all this breath, this library of breaths, and like raspy, you know, just this the that quality of breathing to bring it that like respiratory texture to the creature's voice um and uh yeah he you know once we got that in there it was like <laughs> it all came together man like all these scenes that you know we would listen to and be kind of on the fence about were all of a sudden we were completely convinced you know and and and, and it wasn't oh it wasn't just an accent like the the scene where he's in the, when he first arrives at eliza's house and they put him in the bathtub he's gasping for air that's yeah, I don't know. Would you say that's like you know seventy five, eighty percent Guillermo's gasping? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it was, it just, just him. You can yeah. dial the other stuff out. So like it was, I don't know. The breathing. You, you mentioned the breathing, and there's, there's a lot of tracks. That's a, that's a sixty four track <laughs> nightmare that Brad did something with. <laughs> I think too. Also, just going back to the, even the beginning of the film, the reveal of this creature. You just have a tube with water. You don't really know what's inside there. You hear some slight movements, but then you actually throughout a few scenes, you understand some of the power and force of this creature when he's putting his his hands on the glass and and when he's in the pool and you know the egg and there's just like there's a sense that it's a gentle creature but there is a lot of power behind it how how did you guys kind of was that stuff that you guys are doing fully like who went about kind of helping emphasize the the strength of him i'd say both i'd say that those guys full steve bain pete prasad uh they put together a pretty kicking physical presence for that creature because he yeah. needed to sound and and i mean like you know and we, beat the, and we beat them up on that from temp, <laughs> from the beginning temp mixes like they they fought yeah. back well i'd say oh. i think that they they represented <laughs> we, we well. there's a lot of phone calls back and forth yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but i mean like it, right, right off the right off the bat i remember one of my one of my early conversations with sydney he was like like dude this 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 thing has to sound <laughs> Sydney didn't say, "Dude, I can't picture Sydney <laughs> no, saying, dude. He he just basically looked at me and he said, "Like you know, this this creature has to sound like he's seven feet tall. Like I don't know how yeah. tall he is, but this has to be a like a large man. Like it's it has to be within the realm of reality, but it's got right. to sound like it's there. You know what I mean? Like it has to have weight when he walks around and when he does his like sort of scrambling on the floor or any of that kind of stuff. It has to sound like he's really there. <laughs> and I think that I think those guys knocked it out of the park. I think one of my favorite Foley facts about this movie is that one of the elements for his feet is a rubber lobster. <laughs> <laughs> why is that? Well, why Lester. is that the right sound? What was it? About I don't know. That? I don't know, but I don't know, it's perfect. But it worked. <laughs> I love I love I love that Bane owns a rubber lobster and that it was one of the elements aside from his own wet feet and whatever other you know, mayhem that takes yeah. place in that fully. We, we don't want to know. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he, when I first read that, I, I, I laughed pretty hard. A rubber lobster, not a rubber chicken. There's no, no, no. It had to be the lobster. Right. It's a fish man. It's a it's fish man. Exactly. It had to be a lobster. It's a crustacean. Yeah. So I mean, what can you say about your guys' own um, just 
whole production timeline. How much time did you have throughout your temps? Like, give me an idea of the complete timeline from beginning to end. Oh man, um, six months. I mean, we went from uh, we sort of we started, started preliminary March work. last year. Well, well you mean, guys started. Much we started earlier. preliminary work in like December and January. Earlier, November. Earlier than that, I'd say. I think that first scene, that first egg scene, they turned over to November to 2016, me, something like that. Maybe. Yeah, November 2016. We started ADR as well on some problematic scenes in late November of 2016, and we went right through until almost July. Well. Even you guys were August back 2nd in. was the last day. Well, during TIFF. August 2nd. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, no, that's right. There was a, there was one little... Yeah, we had the... the, the a little the, f- fix that, that uh, Guillermo wanted yeah, to do we won't after talk he about screened that. it up to... Yeah, yeah <laughs> we, don't, we won't count that. But yeah, so it was about a... It was, I mean, from top to bottom, eight months, something Roughly. like that. Yeah. yeah, and that encapsulated three temp mixes. Yeah, there were three temps. And, yeah. and you know what? It actually rolls back a little further than that because they're in with the sort of mountain of field recording we did for this film. We also managed to convince them to give us access to a bunch of these vehicles yeah. that were in the movie to record yeah. and we needed to do that like we're in Canada here right like it's going to snow <laughs> you don't need to record that <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah, in yeah. November so they were giving us access to these vehicles as early as I'd say like early October well yeah what started the meeting that started for us as basically a job interview ended with us leaving with permission to record their cars yeah to, to walk away with <laughs> like walk a, away a transit start bus and movie. an old like Econoline Ford van that barely started yeah yeah, and I mean, within there, we had we had the temps, and again, I mean, a, a challenge within. I mean, temps are always a challenge, but just in the way, the way it kind of evolved, and the way sort of Guillermo and all of us, in a way, were kind of finding our way with how this thing was going to sound. Everything just sort of had to be. Everything had to be. It was all a moving target. Everything was fluid, <laughs> and everything. You know, ironically, everything uh, <laughs> everything was like water. It just there was nothing written in stone, and we just kept adding layers and adding layers and changing and transforming as we went. Right. It, so, it, I guess, it, did yeah. you did you go back to uh, the project after the premiere, or you know, for the the theatrical release, or was it locked at, at that point? No, not. I mean, no. The only. I mean, we were just jesting about there was. TIFF, right? I mean, I feel like we can say it's term. locked now because it's printed to DCPs. And yeah, <laughs> it's locked now. But 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 someone I won't say who <laughs> said said uh, we're like, when is this going to be done? And they said, pick the release date and then just back time it a week, and then you'll know you'll be done. <laughs> right? <laughs> you never know. You just you know never know with him because he's. His, I guess, I don't know, his mind's he's oh, yeah, always we, working. We were sitting on the mix stage, and it was like, you know, he'd look at Sydney and go, I want to take, you know, four yeah. frames out of that shot. And yeah. we're like, oh, okay, there's another conform. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. It just, yeah, it was a process. It just became commonplace at yeah. that point. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the incredible thing that I always am blown away by. That just, I'm talking with the mix teams, and, you know, the film is going to come out in a, a few weeks. And I'm like, how is this possible? How is this physically possible but nowadays i imagine because yeah. we're not it's, doing film it's everything's in the box it yeah, makes yeah, it so much easier it's, when it's just yeah. files it's, it's <laughs> nobody it's the, has to cut apart yeah. mag anymore yeah it's the new <laughs> it's the new normal because i still remember when we were mixing movies i mean larger movies on on mag yeah. and going going to lunch and you know during the mix and literally seeing the release poster in like, like a bus shelter and saying oh boy I guess we better get back to work because <laughs> this thing's coming out in three weeks and we're still working on it right but now it's I mean if you're not if you don't adapt I mean 
Yeah. I mean, it's just the new normal. That's the way it is. Right? And d- was Guillermo at all involved with any of the other, you know, near field or home release type of stuff? Mm, uh, no. No. No, I think that was a... Uh, that was all just left to, uh, to for Chris and I to do take care of the versioning afterwards after the, all the approvals went through. Okay, so you said it was a five one. Um, were there any other formats? No, no. There's uh, just the from the Fox Searchlight's point of view, they just wanted to. Uh, I think it was just the one DCP. Oh, amazing! So yeah. no, no IMAX, no Atmos. I mean, that no. must have been pretty nice. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, <laughs> saves a little bit of time on the back end. Yeah. So what, what can you say now? The project obviously is done and the film is out. What do you appreciate about the fact of, you know, having the work get out there, seeing reviews, seeing it with your friends and family? What is it about sharing your work and, and just having it live with an audience? Like, how does that change your perspective on the project and the work that you guys did? Doesn't. Pure love. I love this movie. Yeah. I just went and saw it last night again with my wife. We went to the opening weekend, one of the shows that the theater that's playing at in Toronto right now and it's sort of like a first rollout release in Canada yeah and uh watching our neighbors who are sitting next to us you know watching them react to some of the things that take place in the movie um was just amazing it was it was it was it made it all worth it man they, they, they laughed at all the right spots they yeah you know you could tell people were holding back tears at all the right spots it was amazing it was perfect mm. Yeah, I felt, I mean, I felt born to do it when I read it. It's like, this is, you know, this this is the movie I'd go to see, right? This is, I mean, I've been a fan from the beginning of Guillermo. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, f- for me, you know, it was a, a return to a, a certain style of filmmaking of his that I really appreciated and an aesthetic of his that I really appreciated. And, um, you know, I, I felt you know, privilege just to be a part of it. I would have been happy to have been a fly on the wall, much less, you know, be as involved as I was. It was, you know, it was fantastic. I mean, it's fantastic to see the reaction, just, you know, sort of knowing what went into it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I mean, you know, again, just, just to see the process of this artist at work. He's a, he is a hurricane of creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. Mm. It was a pleasure working with these guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could always do this, yeah. you know? Let's do it, it again. It was a great collaboration. It was. Everybody, you know. Yeah, it's nice, like Nathan said earlier, it's nice to work with a filmmaker that 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 enjoys collaboration and enjoys input from other people and, and, and you feel respected and you feel like uh, you're part of part of what's out there and what the world's seeing and what they're really accepting right now. Yeah. And it's a good feeling. Yeah. He lets you run. He lets you run as far and as fast as you want with your idea, but then he raises the bar on you and he makes you clear it. Right. <laughs> and, if you fall, and, fall. and he'll whip you really hard. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can be abused, but yeah. you know, you can come up better on the other end. He'll give you lots yeah. of leash That's and he'll problem, wait until man. it's wrapped around your neck and he'll give it a tug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know when when the abuse is good for you that you're in for uh, yeah. A long experience. Well, Christian, Brad, Nelson, Nathan, thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat about The Shape of Water. It's an incredible film. I'm excited to see how the rest of the world reacts as it rolls out. And it's rare and beautiful to see a film like this, which nowadays is, I think it was like a 19 million dollar budget is that right something like in the ballpark yeah, some, something like that, yeah. yeah yeah so like these like, films don't exist at that often um and as much as they should and it's just great to see this type of story and this type of work that you guys all achieved so thank you so much and well thank you thank very you much. Much. Yeah, thank yeah. you 
Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to my chat with the sound team of the film The Shape of Water. You can hear more conversations with sound designers, composers, and directors on the Soundworks Collection podcast on iTunes and streaming online at soundworkscollection.com. 